0: Welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, executive producer and co-host of Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. This live edition of the AMCP podcast series is powered by Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is lead co-host Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, we speak with primary care pediatrician and physician entrepreneur Andre Ostrovsky M.D., F.A.A.P., managing partner, Social Innovation Ventures, and former U.S. Medicaid chief medical officer, and Lisa Palco, Pharm.D., vice president and head of medical affairs for Achille We discuss the. ADHD landscape, conventional therapeutics, and contributions from the emerging field of digital therapeutics, including the Endeavor RX platform. Akili changed our perception of medicine when they received FDA authorization for the first prescription video game treatment. Akili brings together neuroscience, technology, and entertainment to develop video game based treatments for cognitive impairments in patients with conditions including ADHD, multiple sclerosis, depression, autism, and COVID brain fog. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Andre and Lisa,
1: welcome to Pop Health Week.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you both on this second episode here discussing a really fascinating topic on ADHD and some of the work Achilles doing. So why don't we start with a quick background. Um, Perhaps Andre, you could go first, a little bit of your background.
3: Yeah, you bet. Thanks a lot, Fred. I'm Dr. Andre Ostrovsky. I'm a primary care pediatrician. I attend at a federally qualified health center in D.C. called Mary Center. And prior to that, I attended as a hospitalist at Children's National for seven years i spend only a couple days a month doctoring i spend most of my time investing in diverse founders trying to close health equity gaps and i've been doing this for about four and a half years Uh, prior to that i've had a few roles as an operator founded a company over a decade ago in the readmission reduction space and um uh sold that business and then also ran a series of methadone clinics in Maryland, all Medicaid reimbursed and helped to turn turn that business around and um, introduce more of an evidence-based care model. And in between those operating roles, had a few government roles, most recently as the chief medical officer of the national Medicaid program. And so I uh, spend my time now mostly investing, but also doing research and advocacy at the intersection of innovation uh, health equity and regulatory changes to help both kids and adults and uh, i've had the pleasure of working with my friends at Achille and uh, really excited about the science there fantastic well, welcome again and lisa your
1: background
2: yes hi lisa palco i'm a pharmd specializing in psychiatric and um, neuropharmacology um, I am the Vice President Head of Medical Affairs at Achille, and um, prior to that was in um, the pharmaceutical industry as far as medical device and digital health. And in prior life um, was a academician, researcher and a um, payer. So I'm delighted to be here.
1: Well, fantastic. So why don't we get into it and talk a little about the ADHD space. Um, You know, it's been, uh, people have been trying to do quite a bit in this area, but we really haven't seen over the years that much innovation within the space. Any thoughts on that perhaps, uh, Andre?
3: Oh man, Um, I think in general, innovation in the kids space has really been lagging. uh, And that spans from a policy perspective, innovation there from a technology perspective and also from a care delivery perspective. Unfortunately, that gap in innovation sets up real health equity gaps and perpetuates existing health equity gaps. Um, One troubling statistic is if you look at all of the devices that the FDA approves, less than 10% are for a pediatric indication. And that is not reflective of the morbidity experienced by the general population. Now what it does reflect is a, uh, frankly, lack of bravery amongst investors and entrepreneurs to tackle an issue that may not appear as a billion-dollar blockbuster when, in fact, you actually can make money and do social good serving pediatric uh, populations. And uh, my friend and colleague, Eddie Martucci, to his credit, saw the vision, had a great vision, saw the opportunity to help a lot of kids and do so in a commercially viable way. And so I think what Achilles done actually is a great exemplar of aligning the opportunity for both investors to get really interesting returns, and more importantly, for kids and families to get a critical clinical need met. And so, to your question about innovation in the pediatric space, um, there need to be more Achilles out there. Um, and fortunately, we, we have Achilles. Unfortunately, we have Endeavor RX to kind of lead the charge, but we've got a long way to go.
1: And when you think about that, either you or Lisa, what do you see as current gaps in, within the therapy for ADHD?
2: Well, I would say as far as the gaps, I think we need to go back and really look at the the history of ADHD. Uh, it's been around, believe it or not, for about 200 years, um, but we haven't seen much advancement. And, and that advancement particularly has been more in the traditional pharmaceutical Side than anything else. And that could be because of the status quo of just treatment, but also the fact that, um, you know, we're just starting to scratch the surface of the brain and the neurobiology and the pathophysiology of ADHD. Um, So when I look at the, the treatment gaps, I mean, certainly we have pharmacological therapies, but they consist really of two molecules. You've got the amphetamines and you have the methylphenidate, and you have a variety, um, an array of options within there. But again, we haven't broken through. We have non-stimulants, probably not as effective, but I would say really the innovation, and to Achilles' credit is bringing something innovative, safe, and effective for this treatment.
1: And Andre, as a physician, uh, obviously, what are some of the issues? You know, there's a, a lot of talk now about putting children on medications. Is it appropriate or not? What are some of the issues in terms of using stimulants and that may be faced?
3: So I think there's a lot of considerations. First and foremost, stimulants can absolutely work. And it's important to establish a trusting bond with the family, understanding their needs, understanding their concerns, and also making sure that the child is appropriately assessed and that we as clinicians reconcile the needs of the family, preferences, cultural sensitivities with the clinical needs of the kiddo. And in some cases, stimulants align both with what is clinically indicated for the child as well as what is the preference of the child and the family. Having said that, Most families I interact with, whether it's addressing ADHD or other conditions, prefer to not put a drug in their kid's body. They prefer to take a non-pharmacologic approach. They prefer to take, quote unquote, natural as possible, whatever natural means, right? There's a lot of, it really is in the eye of the beholder, eye of the family. When we have an evidence-based, FDA-cleared therapeutic intervention that doesn't require a kid to take some synthetic thing and put it in their body, families, one, are surprised because they're not used to that, and two, they're relieved knowing that, oh, wow, this is really interesting to either complement a stimulant that they already have on board as well as psychotherapy and or just to try something non-pharmacologic to begin with. And I'll defer to Achille about the labeling and all that. I'm just speaking from my perspective as a clinician where... I may be using a therapeutic intervention on, per the label, how it's written or maybe off label, but whatever the family needs in that dyad between myself and, and the family and, and the kiddo. And so having a digital intervention is a really great tool for me as a clinician because that broadens my ability to meet family's needs. And that's just speaking from a pure like aligning family's needs and clinical indication. When we get into the domain of side effect profile and reducing side effect uh, adverse events or sequelae, that's where innovations like Endeavor Rx become really interesting because when we've got an elementary school age kid that maybe is taking a stimulant, but they're not going to bed, (laughs) that's a problem. Our kids need to get sleep. So it's really nice to know you can either titrate down the dose of the stimulant and or maybe replace a stimulant with something that's not going to have in, insomnia, right? Alternatively, when we have undesirable weight loss, stimulants can significantly drop a kiddo's weight, and it, it, that that's a that's a really important side effect to keep in mind. Again, titrating down on a stimulant or, or even trying a non-stimulant approach is a really interesting uh, tool that we now have available, and so. It really comes down to summarize to what are the patient and family's cl- uh, uh, cultural preferences, uh, goals, and then also what's the clinical indication of the kid. And now we have this option that I think at scale, once this becomes uh, understood by primary care pediatricians, it, it could be a real game changer in terms of how we manage uh, kids with ADHD. So, Lisa, what is Endeavor Rx?
2: Endeavor Rx is a digital therapeutic that is FDA authorized and indicated to improve attention function as measured by computer-based testing in children ages 8 to 12-year-old with primarily inattentive or combined type ADHD who have a demonstrated attention issue.
1: And so as you talked about, this can augment the treatment of using some of these various medications, and you add this as another approach to uh, to make it even better potentially.
3: Exactly. It, it make it better actually walk the talk of person-patient centeredness, meeting patients and families where they are. Um, this is an innovation that allows all those buzzwords to actually happen in the primary care setting.
1: You know, we've talked a lot about uh, this whole concept of bringing in these personalized digital therapeutic, and uh, they're just really starting to come to market. So. What's sort of been the responses you've talked to uh, individuals uh, using the product or, or the options you've talked about with families or the kids?
3: So digital is not new to families. Uh, these are generally families that grew up, the parents themselves as digital natives. The kids for sure are growing up with some kind of screen around them. So the notion of digital anything, that is not new. The notion that a physician is prescribing a digital intervention, that is new. I don't think it's that hard of a proverbial pill to swallow, so to speak, because families are, as long as there's a close bond with the clinician, they're willing to try things, as long as the clinician is saying, yes, this is what I recommend, this is evidence-based, this is safe where our hangup is is not with the families. Our hangup is with the insurers. And this comes down to you know, I work in a in a safety net environment. My families cannot afford to pay for healthcare. My families in many cases parents are working multiple jobs. They are hustling, they are grinding just to put food on the table. And it is essential for them to get access to evidence-based interventions that insurance, especially Medicaid covers said intervention. And so when I as a clinician, board-certified pediatrician, have reviewed the evidence and deemed that a certain intervention is safe for a kiddo, the insurance company should not get in my way. Most importantly, it should not get in the way of the family and the kiddo getting access to something that could fundamentally change the quality and function of their lives. So I don't think it's really an issue of uh, adoption or receptivity to digital therapeutics by families. That Pediatricians are going to educate families. The issue is (laughs) I, as a pediatrician, can't be spending hours on the phone trying to get a prior authorization with an insurance carrier where the physician on the other end is not even a pediatrician. So that's the real hill that we collectively need to uh, kind of climb. Uh, I know our Friends at Achilles are definitely putting in the work and the advocacy to make sure that happens. But I would say, Fred, that's the issue.
0: And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to a live edition of the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. We're speaking with Andre Ostrowski, MD, FAAP, Managing Partner, Social Innovation Ventures, and former U.S. Medicaid Chief Medical Officer, and Lisa Palco, PharmD Vice President and Head of Medical Affairs for Akili.
1: And that raises a really interesting one I'd like to dig in just a little bit on. It obviously, it's an issue where you have a ton of expertise. I've been involved in it for years is Medicaid. Obviously, Medicaid is children, a lot of children in Medicaid. Are you beginning to hear or see the recognition from that line of health plan business or state business to look at these digital therapeutics and say, we need to bring these in for the children?
3: I don't know that there's a focus specifically on children. I do know that there are some progressive uh, plans out there. Highmark recently announced that they're covering several digital therapeutics on their formulary to their credit. I know there's a lot of innovation with some of our colleagues at Express Scripts. Um, There's digital formularies being created across uh, other PBMs. So the movement is happening. It's not happening quickly enough. And I think it's important to point out, while I mentioned the safety net setting and, and Medicaid carriers, commercial carriers are, 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 are also very important here because there's been now published literature showing that fam- families that have employer-based insurance are also at risk for uh, social risk factors. There's a study by Pare et al in, I believe, June, 2021, that quantified social determinant of health needs for employer-insured populations, and they're quite pronounced. So whether it's Medicaid, which definitely would address health equity issues, or it's commercial insurance, the medical policy leadership, the medical directors, the pharmacy directors of these insurance carriers need to be a little bit brave and not be afraid to be the first one to do something. That's the big fear here, right? None of the carriers want to be the first. They'd love to be the second. someone Someone's got to take a lead. And, you know, t- to the White House's credit, they did in uh, the president in, in his uh, State of the Union address, identified behavioral health needs, especially in the pediatric space, as a priority. CMS has spoken about closing health equity gaps. They have spoken about addressing behavioral health needs, they haven't done a whole lot of doing, what a great opportunity to take action. You know, digital therapeutics overall, but especially focused on the pediatric space. They, that, that's, a, that's a low-hanging fruit for a lot of wins for a lot of people.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think that's sort of the key. No one wants to be the first one out there, but at the same time, they recognize that there is a need. And certainly we have a preponderance of evidence to suggest that if the children are not treated appropriately, that they are at risk for poorer outcomes. And this is a chronic condition, so it needs to be recognized as that. The child will not necessarily grow out of it. And we also know that, you know, data has suggested in children on Medicaid with ADHD don't necessarily get the appropriate care you know, medication seems to be prevalent within there. But when you look at guidelines, it's um, behavioral therapy is really something that's first line, but that requires a lot of effort. It requires investment from parents. And quite frankly, they don't have a lot of time, right? So when you have an opportunity to use something that is actually needing the family, right? Because it's not just the, the child, it's the family that you need to to be aware of and, and meet them at their home or at their, the child's school, make it easy for them. You know, oftentimes I heard, you know, children don't want to take stimulants because in school they're singled out because you have to go and get it at the nurse, right? So to have something that you can meet them at their home, I think it provides a fantastic opportunity.
1: And and you raised a fantastic issue, Lisa, which has been really resonating across the country. I see articles on it every day. We have a, a mental health crisis in a sense in the United States right now, especially among children because of what's happened with the schools, et cetera, and, and, and other reasons. But we really have a dearth of therapists. There aren't enough people out there to provide treatment. I was actually looking at a report uh, from the uh, APA, where they, the American Psychological Association, that the ratio of psychologists to school children was off by an enormous amount based on what they thought the need might be. So how does this sort of fit into that realm? How does it potentially solve that problem?
2: Well, you're right. There's a a limited number of therapists who treat children with ADHD. And that actually shrinks when you look at those that actually take Medicaid as as an insurer. Um, And we've had this for decades, I would say, the lack of child and adolescent psychiatrists as well. So you're really forcing the pediatricians to become the first line of defense when it comes to ADHD. So we are offering something that, again, goes across those, those boundaries, right? It does, you have what we call the inaccessible care or access to care, right? Well, this, this is something that can be used in the, the child's home, that they don't have to worry about getting on a bus and traveling miles and miles to see someone. You know, it's great. An apple a day can keep the doctor away, but if you have to travel 20, 30 miles to get that apple, it's not going to help. (laughs) So um, I, I think we have, I think it's our duty quite frankly to have an option for children that is helps them with their inattention, something that can go unrecognized for years and can only really, quite frankly, lead to poorer outcomes.
3: So uh, along those lines, Fred, I'm not sure to what extent a digital therapeutic intervention is really going to address the access issue in terms of uh, provider shortages. Um, We just need more providers. I think Special, subspecialty telehealth solutions could be interesting, which I'm happy to elaborate on. I've invested in the space. I think changing regulations around enabling therapists to practice across state lines and extending the flexibilities during the public health emergency, which those flexibilities are going to go away after the public health emergency, that would be a big deal. I think increasing the workforce of providers is important, but the lead time is enormous. I think it's very important to set expectations and boundaries of what one manufacturer can do in terms of the provider shortage and mismatch and load balancing between therapists and kids' needs. I think where there may be uh, access benefit is there are health plans that are taking stimulants off formulary. I know Aetna just took Adderall off formulary, which is, I think, a crime. There's certainly abuse and diversion potential, but you can't take a medication that for many people is very effective off formulary um i think that is probably going to be or should be challenged from a legal perspective and like a mhpa perspective in those cases actually endeavor can step up and potentially fill that gap but we shouldn't have an insurer dictating uh, what is or isn't prescribed um so that's probably a bigger a bigger topic i think in a Rural setting where uh, home delivery of a, a pill is limited or driving a long distance to a pharmacy is limited, absolutely. That is a use case where digital intervention, all you need is to get a text message from uh, you a know, specialty pharmacy and you get the application downloaded. So that that I think is a very real use case of improving access, uh, but I, I think there's a lot of other things that need to get done to address that um, provider shortage and mismatch uh, issue.
1: Yeah. And obviously there's a long, Time lag, as you talked about, between getting therapists trained and getting them out in the field. And uh, it's something that's being worked on. Here, just a final comment on the last episode we discussed, as you mentioned, Lisa, the president's address, where he talked about strengthening the system's capacity, connecting Americans to care, and supporting Americans by creating healthy environments, all in regards to mental health. Any um, thoughts or perspectives you'd like to give us on that, Lisa?
2: You know, I think one of the things that we've learned. Um, You know, through this pandemic, is that we really have we are able to step up and address situations immediately. And I think if we're able to replicate that, particularly regarding the mental health crisis, we should. I think it's our duty um, that we need to uh, to really put funds, uh, thing policies in place, really, and to continue. Policies that are in place, such as providers across state line, etc. I think that would really this you know make great strides in this area.
1: And Andre, we've got about
3: a minute left. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I think this all comes down to remembering that there's a kid at the end of all this. There's a parent at the end of all this, and I know one of one of my. One of our colleagues, uh, Kelsey, who's a mom of a child with ADHD, I think we all need to remember her story. And watching a mom cry, watching Kelsey cry when she sees the difference of her son just struggling Mm -hmm. through getting his shoes, shoes tied in the morning and barely passing second grade to taking a side effect free digital intervention and finally proudly being able to tie his shoes and be early for the bus to school and watching the joy that that brings to her and enabling kelsey just to thrive as a mom instead of just trying to stay afloat of uh, try to handle a kiddo that's bouncing off the walls or not able to pay attention like that's what this all comes down to and The, our colleagues at insurance carriers need to remember that individual patient story. Our regulator friends need to remember that patient story. And importantly, there's the rigorous evidence behind all this. So uh, that's what I want to make sure everyone uh, remembers.
1: Well, that's really a fantastic way to end it with that story. So thank you very much, Andre and Lisa, for joining us on POP Health Week. Thank you. Thanks, Fred.
0: And back to you, Greg. And Thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our guests, Andre Ostrowski, MD, FAAP, Managing Partner Social Innovation Ventures and former U.S. Medicaid Chief Medical Officer, and Lisa Palko, PharmD Vice President and Head of Medical Affairs for Akili for their time today. Akili's video game-based cognitive medicine is now being prescribed for inattention in children 8 to 12 with ADHD, and the company is studying the technology in several other patient populations. For more information about Akili, visit Akili Interactive, and that's A-K-I-L-I interactive.com. And for more information about their product, EndeavorRx, visit EndeavorRx.com. This live edition of the AMCP podcast series is powered by Pop Health Week. We encourage you to follow, like, and subscribe to the series via www.amcp.org forward slash podcast or the podcast platform of your choice pop health week streams live on healthcare now radio at five thirty a.m 1 30 p.m and 9 30 p.m eastern and two thirty a.m 10 30 a.m and 6 30 p.m pacific and until next time please stay safe everyone bye now